You may remember that I saw some stats. It's been a while back, um, some research from a couple of years ago, this one, that uh, showed that the American church is basically illiterate about the Bible. We we know very little about what the what the Bible says. So I've committed for to take a couple of times a year at least to go through chapter by chapter a book of the Bible. And so uh, right now we're starting a letter that Paul wrote to, to Timothy. And you can see who, who the author is and who the recipient is of this book that we, or this letter that we learn from in the first two, in the first two verses. 2 Timothy chapter 1, you can follow along in your notes if you'd like. Chapter 1, verse 1, it says this. This letter is from Paul, pretty straightforward. Chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, I have been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, I am writing to Timothy, my dear son. May God the Father and, and Christ Jesus our Lord give you Grace, mercy, and peace. That, and that is something that Paul says a lot, and it's something that we ought to declare off over our families and one another. Amen? Isn't that something that we can all use? Some grace, peace, and some mercy. I need all of it. So Paul originally met Timothy in Lystra during his second missionary journey, and you can read about that in Acts chapter 16, we won't take the time to look at that this morning, but Timothy was a, was a young and what we would consider today as, as a, a biracial young man. His, his dad was Greek, his mom was Jewish, so I'm sure he was, he was bilateral, bilingual. Not bilateral, bilingual. My vocabulary is expansive. I'll make up words if I need to. I'm sure he could speak Greek as well as Hebrew. And Paul liked Timothy and took him, he took him under his wing to disciple. And the book of 2 Timothy is the second of two letters that Paul wrote to Timothy, and it's believed to be the last letter that Paul wrote. It's it's believed especially to be the last one that we know of anyway. It's the last one that we find in the Bible. And as we go through this short letter, you'll, you'll see that there's somewhat of an, in, of an intensity to it. It was, an, it was an intense time for followers of Jesus. 
It was a time of unrest for a lot of reasons. In 64 AD, Nero had allegedly burned sections of Rome and blamed the Christians. And then two years later, the Jewish wars began. And Paul probably wrote 2 Timothy between 66 and 67 AD. So it's, it's an intense time, and followers of Jesus were experiencing some heavy persecution. It's Paul's second time to be in prison, and it's the second time that he had been put in prison for his faith, but things are different this time than the last time. They're, they're much more difficult for Paul, and there's, they've put a lot more restrictions on him. And you can tell that Paul knew that he would not be getting out of prison this time. He was going to die in prison. He believed that. He believed that his death was soon, and we can tell that by some powerful words that, um, that he wrote toward the end of the book in chapter 4, verse 6 through 8. Look at what he says. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. Isn't that awesome? And and now the prize awaits me. There's always hope. It doesn't matter how difficult it is. God has a prize for us. And he says, a prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give on the day of his return, and the prize is not just for me, but for all of us who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Isn't that awesome? From the youngest to the oldest, and I am, man, I love it whenever our young people are in here with us. Don't you all like that? Give them a hand because, man, our Z kids are all up into the house today, and uh, I love seeing their faces, and they are always so good whenever they're in here, and the parents like it because most of the time I stay pretty focused (laughs) and try not to keep you in here way too long. Those are some powerful words that Paul gave. So that's the background and the backdrop of this intense letter that Paul's that Paul wrote to his to his son. It's not his physical biological son, but it's a, one of his spiritual sons. And I think it's interesting and important that we noticed the mindset that Paul has about Timothy as he writes this letter, he calls Timothy his son. Again, it's not his, it's not his physical son, it's his spiritual son. He considers him and he calls him a son. <clears throat> Paul had, and this is what I want us to talk about this morning, 
Paul had a generational mindset. He had a generational mindset. And God desires that we, all of us, have a generational mindset. We see it from from early on in Scripture. If you look in Exodus chapter 3, verse 15, God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, look, the God of your ancestors, the God, and he starts talking about the generations, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This God has sent you. That's who I am. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for what? For all generations. So he's calling us to have a generational mindset. And Paul understood and had that kind of mindset. 2 Timothy 1.5, he says this. <clears throat> I remember your genuine faith, for, for you share the faith that first filled, look, at your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. How many of you had a mama or a grandmama named Eunice? Eunice Faye, get over here. And he said, and I know that same faith continues strong in you. He's calling us to a generational, and he's, he's speaking into Timothy. You need to have a generational mindset. It's not just about you. 2 Timothy 2, verse, verse, starting with the verse first, look at what he goes on to say. Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now look at him. Look at what he says. Now you go and teach these truths to some other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. It's a generational mindset. And God desires that we all have that. The gospel begins by making a difference in my life personally, but it doesn't end with just making a difference in my life, and it's important that we pass it on. Not, not only to just to one another, but especially to the next generation. And this is a perfect Sunday to talk about it with our young people in here. Whenever I was studying, I came across <clears throat> a really interesting quote by a lady named Margaret Margaret Mead. She was a popular cultural anthropologist back in the 1960s and 70s mainly. And she made this seeming prophetic statement all the way back in the 1960s. Look at what she said. This isn't in your notes, but we have it on the screen. 
Throughout human history and all cultures, parents and grandparents have helped their young understand life and the future. However, remember this was back in the 60s. She says, I anticipate that a time is coming where technology and culture changes so fast that for the first time in human history, children will have to figure out for themselves what their values will be. I'm sure I wouldn't agree with everything that Miss Mead wrote and believed, but she got that one right. For the first time in human history, children are having to figure out for themselves what their values will be, and they've turned to technology and, and the culture. Listen, because many times... And in many cases, parents, grandparents, and the church haven't had a generational mindset. Oops, sorry about that. <clears throat> now, we can either be discouraged about that situation, or we can be informed and challenged by it and determine that we will have a generational mindset and be intentional about making a difference in the next generation. And I choose for me and my house and for Zeal Church, we're going to have that kind of a mindset. One of the most important areas of ministry that we have here at Zeal is the ministry to our children and our youth. And if you're interested in making a long-term, if you're interested in making a long-term impact for God in lives, I encourage you to get involved in one of our ministries to kids. Because I believe if Jesus tarries and doesn't return very soon, our kids are going to have, they're going to have to need, they're going to need to have convictions that run deep. And they're going to have to have spines of steel. And they're going to be, I'm, I'm speaking this over them. They're going to be heroes of faith that will compare to the heroes of faith that we read in the Bible times. Let it be so, O oh God. There's all, and there's, <laughs> so we have opportunities. We always have opportunities to make a generational impact by investing into our young people. And we have it right now because of either some folks that have jobs have relocated them that were involved in especially the preschool and the nursery <clears throat> areas of ministry. Our work schedules have changed that have made it to where they, they weren't able to. I praise God that our core team and is, is done, but we've We've, some have, opportunities have opened up. 
And I encourage you to try it out. And I promise you, if you're afraid of <clears throat> volunteering for children's ministries because maybe in the past it was like a life sentence <laughs> and you feel like if you volunteered for that, you know, the door got locked and you never got to come out until you finally got delivered at some point, that will not happen. But it is an awesome opportunity to make a lasting generational impact on lives. It's vital that we as parents, Luke 10 too, Jesus said, this isn't in your notes, but it's a, <clears throat> he told, Jesus said, he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And I praise God again that our core team Just let me go ahead and assure you one more time as far as kids' ministries go. Right now, the average is if ones that are serving with their children serve once a month. Any of us can make a generational difference serving once a month with our kids. Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. <laughs> we got some kids now. Our harvest is plentiful with some kids. I wouldn't make a statement, but I'm going to filter. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. So it's vital that we as parents and grandparents and, and, and church have a generational mindset. So what does that mean? What does it look like? <clears throat> Real quickly, first, we need to personally receive from God. We need to personally receive from God. We can't, the first step is to make sure that each of us are personally receiving from God because we can't share what we hadn't received. And if you hadn't received, hold that to yourself because what you may give out may not be good. We need to personally receive. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I pass, look, this is Paul again. He said, I pass on to you what I have received from the Lord himself. He goes on and talks about him receiving bread from Jesus. And we need to continually receive the bread of life so that we can share the bread of life with others. So first, we personally receive from God. Second, we intentionally pass on to others what we've received. Pretty simple, huh? We personally receive and then we intentionally, we intentionally pass it on to others. 2 Timothy 2, 2 again says this. <coughs> You've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now you teach these truths to other trustworthy people 
who will be able to pass them on to others. Notice that it didn't say preach these truths at others. He doesn't say for us to just wag our fingers at everybody. He said to teach these truths. In other words, invest your life helping others understand these truths. You receive, then model it and teach it. This is what God has called us to do. Personally receive and then intentionally pass it on. And it's really not just for parents and their kids or adults to kids, but it's also for peer-to-peer relationships as well. I'm praying that God give us this generational mindset to where we and it that it goes to our kids, but it also goes to those who aren't baby Christians yet. They become birthed into the kingdom of God. Jesus said, you must be born again. They're birthed into the kingdom of God, and then we just invest into what God has invested into us. So you may be feeling a little overwhelmed and wondering, where, where do I start? I'm supposed to pass it on, but practically, what does that look like? I believe if we can answer just real quickly, if we can answer three really important questions that the next generation is asking will make a big difference. The first question that, that it would be really good if we were intentional about answering is that the next generation is asking is, what is truth? What is truth? It's an important question that the enemy is creating a lot of confusion about right now. And he's doing a great job of making a lot of people think that there's no absolute truth. And my question to that is, was that statement true? You'll get that in a little while. Just think through it. It's it's profound. You think there's no truth. Was that, tr- was that belief true? <clears throat> I called yesterday. I felt like, I felt like it was worth a call to congratulate Mia for her chicken. One of her chickens finally laying an egg. She had been really upset because she has all these chickens and a rooster, and the chickens weren't laying eggs, and the rooster wasn't cock-a-doing-doing. Doing. <laughs> and, 
And, and Seth was giving, him a, giving them a hard time because their chickens, they got 20 eggs from theirs the other day, and <laughs> Mia wasn't getting any. And their roosters, all four of them were cock-a-doo-a-doo-ing. Here's a profound truth. Only hens can lay eggs, and only roosters can cock-a-doodle-doo. It doesn't matter how the hen feels. She feels like she should be a rooster, and it doesn't matter if the rooster feels like it should be a hen. It's not going to happen. See, there we've got... I'll let y'all soak in the profundity of that truth that needs to relate on on some of the confusion that's going on in our society right now. John 17, 17 says this. This is Jesus. Whenever he was praying for us, Sanctify them by the truth. Look at what it says. This firm foundation that we can stand on. Your word is truth. All right, that's the first question. The second question, and Seth, y'all can come on back if you'd like. Where do I belong? Where do I belong? Our young people need to know, and not just our kids, but people need to know there is a place for them where they can be loved, where they can be accepted, where they're not being preached at, but they're being taught and they're being invested into. And it doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean they're perfect, but we're encouraging just like we all need. I need people encouraging me, Michael. Here's some things that need to be adjusted just a little bit in your life. But I'm not going to discard you during the adjustment. God help us to be a people who love people. Say, we got a place for you to belong. And also, we've got a place for you. 2 Timothy 1, 6, I love this. And this is, this comes from the, this is the title to our, to the, uh, to the series, or where it comes from. This is why I remind you He's talking to Timothy, this young disciple, this generational mindset. He's telling him to fan the flames of the gifts that God gave you. God has given every one of us, from the youngest to the oldest, the gifts. And I'm really excited and proud because we have several of our young people who have grown out of being 
students and Z kids and have become junior leaders, what we call fun experts in our kids' ministries. Some of them were outside this morning holding signs whenever they came in. Did you all see that? If you got here early enough, you saw it. We had had one helping greet, open the door, smiling real big. Because they have a place. If you're one of those, why don't you just stand up? Yeah. Is that not powerful? They are not the church of the future. You're the church right now. I mean, these young kids think you're cool. (laughs) They don't think I'm cool. You can be seated. We need to have a generational mindset to where we invest in our kids and then we start training them to be ministers to pass it on like God wants us to, wants them to. Proud of them. They help greet our kids that come in. We've got some that are helping lead worship on Sunday morning with the kids. Some of them are doing sound and lighting over there with our kids. Some are helping with helping uh, other, the, the core team in the preschool and in the nursery. Isn't that fantastic? The third question <clears throat> is, does my life matter? People need to hear and to know and believe that they matter. Doesn't matter the background. It matters that they matter. I love the passage, and you hear me say it consistently. Ephesians 2.10 You are God's masterpiece. He has created you anew in Christ Jesus so you can do the things that He planned and He prepared and He created for you to do long ago. God, give us, every one of us, generational mindset that receives from you and then passes it along to others. Let it be, oh God. God, I pray this morning that if there's anybody here that is in a strained relationship with you, let them know that you're right there. Not wanting to push them away, but 
wanting to embrace them. God, as we worship you, I pray that they would receive, that you would speak to them, they would surrender wholeheartedly to you. I thank you that you don't make us jump through hoops and try to earn your forgiveness and your acceptance. Thank you that all we need to do is say, Lord, I give up. I give all to you. Thank you for paying the price for my sins so I don't have to. I confess and I repent. And I ask you to empower me to be the person that you've called me to be. Let it be so, God, I pray. In Jesus' name. Stand.